Good morning, everyone. Our scripture reading today is Matthew 5, 1 through 9. Seeing the crowds, he went up on the mountain, and when he sat down, his disciples came to him. And he opened his mouth and taught them, saying, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called the sons of God. All right, good morning. Good to see you guys back in town. Uh, I'm with you for the next five weeks. We're going to finish the Beatitudes next week, and then we're going to talk about salt and light, uh, what to do with anger after that, and then, you know, we're just going to keep working our way through and get pretty far. Uh, At some point here, at the appropriate time, I'm going to slip another Revelation sermon in there just because I I love doing that, just to break things up, just be like, whoa, out of left field. Um, Again, yeah, there's a lot of people, if you guys are looking for more seats, there's a couple here and there's a bunch in the first service. So, wake up earlier. <laughs> okay. It's like a joke grenade. No, no, no. Boom. Okay. <laughs> so, <laughs> okay. Um, so, uh, I guess today is the day I, I'm going to like pull the veil that you didn't know was there off of the Beatitudes and kind of reveal to you the progression of what exactly is happening. Um, because what is happening is here, here is that there's this sort of path that the gospel takes when it enters a person's life. And, uh, and you may not have seen it. You probably haven't. It's things that we tend to, we tend to forget really ancient, beautiful things as, um, as we sort of turn Christianity into these nice, neat systems mathematically all laid out for you to just basically understand and be certain about everything, right? Um, but when you do that, you tend to lose ancient ways of looking at things. And so today, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to reveal to you sort of the progression of the Beatitudes. Uh, you, can, you can cut them in half and break them in the middle. There's, there's eight Beatitudes, and then there's like one, it looks like a ninth Beatitude, but it's really a reiteration and a making personal of the eighth one. Um, so the first four Beatitudes are about your sort of view of yourself and, and how you see yourself now in the, in the eyes of God, um, looking through the eyes of God. The second four um, are what happens after you receive the first four. And so I'm going to leave that there for a minute. We're going to walk through this passage, open up some stuff, and then we're going to come back to that, and I'm going to help you see this, hopefully in a way you haven't seen it before. Um, and uh, yeah, let's, uh, let's pray, and then we'll uh, get into today's passage. Let's pray. Father, thank you for this place, for this room. Uh, thank you for uh, this, this building and the people that you've, that you've brought here together inside of it. We um, we've gathered for one more week and uh, one more week on, on this journey through, through life and we open our hands and we ask that you would fill them with um, your divine truths that you would reveal to us some things that we desperately need to see. Um, things that, uh, that we have maybe been taking part in that we shouldn't or things that we have been ignoring that we shouldn't be ignoring that we should move towards. And uh, we ask for your mercy. We ask for your grace. We ask that it would be obvious to us, um, your love for us. Um, Whatever it is that the people in this room are going through, we bring them and we lift them up to you. And we say, here's what I've got. Here's what I'm carrying. Here's what I'm dealing with. 
what do I do with this? I ask that you would uh, give us something that we can sort of carry along with these things to make the burden easier. Teach us to lay them down. Teach us to find healing. Teach us to help each other to find healing. Um, thank you for, for bringing here exactly who you have to be here with us um, along for this journey. Thank you, Father. Speak through me. Allow me to remember the things I've studied and allow me to communicate clearly. Allow all of us to be present and here, not distracted, not far away somewhere else, but here with you and with each other as your body. Amen. Okay, so today, Matthew 5, 9. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called the sons of God. I'm going to start with the second half. Um, it says, for they shall be called the sons of God. Now, when Matthew is compiling the teachings of Jesus, again, the Sermon on the Mount is the sort of compiling of the three years of teachings that Matthew learned from Jesus. If you don't believe me, go back and listen to our podcast. I walk all through it. Um, but when he writes this, he's not just picking um, random endings to go on the end of these things. He's not just saying, blessed are the meek, blessed are the lowly, blessed, for, they shall, for they shall do this, for they shall do this. And I haven't used, for they shall be called children of God yet, so I'll just stick that right here. Um, that's not what's going on. There is a specific thing that is happening uh, and it has to do with the fact that the audience to this book was Jewish, because Jesus was Jewish. Surprise. Um, and uh, they're, they're the descendants of the Hebrew language, okay? And the Hebrew language didn't have a lot of adjectives. It wasn't really rich in adjectives. They spoke differently. Um, we use a lot of descriptors uh, when we say, uh, you know, the Western mind, children of the Enlightenment. If you ask who... Uh, what is God? Who is God? And we say, well, um, all-loving, omniscient. Um, we, have, we have all these descriptors that we use. And the ancient Hebrew people would use metaphors. God is my shepherd. God is my banner. Um, God is my, is my portion. Um, God is like a mother hen gathering her chicks under her wings. God is like a mother bear protecting her cubs. God is, the, like, they use descriptors of who God is. And one of the ways they would actually describe people was they would use... A, um, uh, the phrase the son of or the daughter of and they would use a, a descriptive noun to describe this person. And so if you were a very peaceful person, uh, if you were just always making peace, you'd be called the son of peace. If you were somebody who... Um, uh, well, let's look at some descriptors in scriptures. We, we have these in Acts chapter 4. Um, we have Joseph, uh, who was also called by the apostles Barnabas, which means the son of encouragement, a Levite, a native of Cyprus. So Barnabas um, was known as somebody who was really encouraging, a very encouraging person, that person who you always bring along when you just want to feel better. You know, like every time you leave them, they're like, they're just so nice. Like, I'm, I'm just encouraged. They've always got good things to say about like, like my hair and like the words I choose to use. And like, and they're just like nice and they're encouraging and they're saying I'm doing a good job. And and, and there's other people that don't do that, and so I gather with this person, and, and they're part of what I'm doing. Um, and I, so they would be called the son of encouragement. And then you have, maybe you were like kind of a spitfire. Maybe you got angry. Maybe you were boisterous and noisy and like louder than other people. And when you were in the room, everyone kind of noticed you were there because you're super loud. We all have that friend. Um, and if you don't, again, if you don't have that friend, you are that friend. Um, <laughs> James, then you have two brothers here, James, the son of Zebedee, and John, the brother of James, to whom he gave the name Boanerges, which means, uh, that is, the sons of thunder. So these two brothers, when they walked in the room, they were loud, they were, um, they were exciting, they were probably angry, like, emotional, just, yeah, they're here, you know they're here, like, they're in the building somewhere, I just heard them. 
um, sons of thunder. So this is a descriptor that, that would be used. So when Jesus says, blessed are the peacemakers, the ones who are there um, bringing people together, making peace, um, he says, when people describe you, they're going to call you a son of God. You're, they realize that you are doing the work of God, that you um, are a person who is doing, uh, always bringing peace uh, to this world. Um, you're recognized for being people who are doing the work that God is doing here in this world. Now, um, this work of peacemaking, uh, this is an ancient idea, an ancient very, very old ancient Jewish idea. Because, and we've talked about this before. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to do a little bit of review today on two ideas. On shalom um, and then on the word that is used uh, in the New Testament here for peace. Because we talked about it uh, during our discussion on the fruits of the Spirit. So first off, you'll, if you'll remember, and, and yes, I'll have some awful drawings. Um, so first off, we have, we have shalom, right? Um, we have the idea that, that shalom means there is enough. There's plenty, um, and shalom is the idea that, that all the plenty that exists is organized in a way that is beneficial for everyone. Um, a lot of this has worked into the ancient Levitical law. This was the intent of this, was to show these people how to live in a way that other people weren't living, to, to come out from among, be separate from people, and show people a different way of existing. Um, and so shalom didn't just apply to your stuff. It didn't just apply to our relationship with the world. It also applied to our relationship with each other. And so I'm going to talk about both of those. But in our relationship with the world, there should be this idea that shalom is the idea that, that, that when something is at shalom, is at peace, it is how it would be if God was on the throne in that particular area. If, 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 God, if things were as they would be if God himself put them this way. Which is one of our jobs as God's people to move the world in this direction and to bring the kingdom of God to these places to, um, to live in shalom at peace with the world around us, with how we handle things, with how we handle our money, our environment, um, just the day-to-day choices. Um, is this something that is actively bringing peace into this world and shalom into this world and godliness or is it working against that? Um, it, it was a conscious sort of uh, awakened state of living in this way. Um, uh, I read a quote from Abraham Lincoln a while back that stuck with me, and I wrote it down. Um, and despite his many flaws, he, he had this idea in his head of how he wanted to be remembered. In other words, how people would describe him. And if, if our desire is to be described as sons of God or children of God, um, it's, it's sort of when you look at Abraham Lincoln, and, and one of the things that he said was he, he wanted people to look at him sort of in this way. And he said, die when I may. I would like it to be said of me that I always pulled up a weed and planted a flower where I thought a flower would grow. Um, if I see something that is growing that is unhealthy, I'm going to pluck it out and I'm going to replace it with something that is beautiful um, and meaningful and precious that that may grow. Um, and this is the way that he wanted to be seen and wanted to be known. And the only way to be known this way is to live this way. Um, and so not only are we called to work towards the shalom of ourselves with the world, but also with, with each other. If you'll remember, um, all of our discussions in, in the, uh, the fruits of the Spirit um, pointed towards the idea that when you were living by the fruits of the flesh, you were moving away from people. Um, it drives us apart when we just live um, based upon the everyday desires that we have, um, the, the, what, what Scripture is called the lusts of the flesh. Um, greed and, and lust and all of these things. It drives us apart. It puts wedges between us. But 
When we're living by the fruits of the Spirit, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control, all of these things have the connotation of seeing people and being drawn towards them. It's us moving towards people. Now, um, so let's go to today's passage because this idea of peace is an ancient one. As you can see, it goes back a long, long ways. It starts um, in the garden. You see Adam being placed there and then God says, hey, Um, You're going to work this garden and you're going to move it towards things. You're going to move it towards goodness and you're going to guide it. We were put here to take part in what God is doing and to grow it further. Um, And so when we see this word uh, peacemakers, you say sort of, okay, so what is the Greek word that is used? It's an ancient idea, but in, in when this passage was written, what is the Greek word that was used, and, and what did that word mean? So the Greek word that is used there is this word, irene. It's, it's actually, um, the word serene is a descendant of this word. You can track this directly to the word serene, which means um, no storms, it's calm. Uh, you, picture, you picture like the sunset and the beach, and your headphones are on, and your meditation podcast is slowly whispering in your ear calmly. You're getting sleepy. And that's like serene. You're like, oh, yes, that's very nice. Um, that's the idea. Um, but if you break this word down, there's a root verb there. And the root verb is, it means to bind together that which has been separated. To bind together that which has been separated. Now, uh, this is very similar to the word we have for religion. When people talk about religion, I regularly talk about religion in a, in a negative connotation because really there's two types of religion when you say religion. You're either thinking like religion, like the system that oppresses people, or you're talking about like pure and undefiled religion. Religion, come, there's the word in there, uh, religion, it comes from the word ligaments, which, which is the part that holds uh, your bones together. Um, and so you're re- attaching, re-ligamenting things that are separated. And so when you look at religion, re-ligaments, it's building together, again, uh, broken and separated things. It's very similar to the idea of peace and peacemaking. Um, It's all connected there. And this is the work of God, okay? Um, When you think about sort of the progression of people's understanding of God throughout history, from the beginning of scriptures to the end, you start off with God over here really far away, um, creating the cosmos, sort of creating us way down there. And, and we're here and we're like sort of trying to understand God and there's like these voices and whatever. Um, and as the story progresses, you have sort of the covenant with God and then you have these tablets and it's sort of God communicating with us. Um, a little later, you have God actually moving in and tabernacling with us in our tents, being around his giant tent in the middle. And we're living together as a nation. And then God starts speaking to us through the prophets. And then it moves forward and God comes in the flesh This is how the story goes. God comes in the flesh in the form of Jesus. And then after the ascension of Jesus, you have what? The Holy Spirit coming in, dwelling inside of us. And the whole time that Jesus was here on the earth, he's touching people and he's hugging people. He's kissing people on the cheek. He can't get close enough. And then the Spirit indwelling inside of us. The idea here is a God that is moving towards people that cannot get close enough, that wants so badly to connect with them. But you have us constantly thinking, God is pushing us away and moving away and it couldn't be farther from the truth. And there's this conversation in scriptures was like the the prophets are always saying, wake up, receive its grace, receive it. Open your hands, receive the gift that God has. Um, So when we're gonna talk about Irene, we're gonna talk about the understanding of this grace that God is moving towards you 
And so you can stand in serenity because you are anchored in something different. And so most people, uh, you might recognize some of these drawings from before, most people move through the earth like this. They're just sort of what I call a reactive presence, right? Um, Things are happening throughout your day. You wake up in the morning, you set off to have a good day. Things are happening and you feel like, well, they're just trying to make me have a bad day and I'm not going to do it. And you're reacting, but by the end of the day, you've been worn down and you're cutting people off and making rude gestures. And you, you, you just, you're a reactive presence. Um, and you're trying to find peace throughout these things. But Irenae is, is the idea that we are anchored in something that we have received from before. We're anchored in the past. Uh, and the future, knowing that this is heading somewhere. So when we're anchored in the past, there's this idea that we are not a reactive presence. We are a grounded presence. There is a baseline and a base note that we receive that says, hey, there is nothing to do. You are loved by God. You are accepted by God. You are being worked on by God. Receive that. And as you move through the day, all of these things that are calling for your attention, you're just going to live differently in this serene presence in the chaos of the environment around you. And when you are that person, when you see, when you get outside of the game that they're playing and you see um, the chaos that is all around you, but you also see the love that is being offered for these people and the hope that they could have if they would just open their eyes and receive it, um, it changes how you move through this world and you are present and you're looking around and then you can start to see the weeds that are growing and you can step in and say, hey, if this continues to grow, it's not going to be healthy. Here, try this. Pull this out. Put this in its place. I'll help it grow. I'll water it. I'll help it find sunlight. Um, and we can walk this path together. And you are no longer a reactive presence. You are a non-reactive presence. And so things come at you and you can receive them. And you can say things like Jesus did. Um, Father, forgive them. They don't, they don't know what they're doing. They don't understand what exactly is happening here. They're just reacting to what is going on in the world around them. They're not acting based upon the fundamental love of the divine being present in their life. So, um, the, the, the peacemaker is this person who isn't playing the games that everyone else is playing. And so I want to talk about the game that everyone's playing because you can really... You can really whittle it down to like one idea, and it's the idea of binary, that there is an A and that there's a B, and they are diametrically opposed to each other. Um, that A can only be A, B can only be B, and there is no in-between, and there are only two sides. And so there are good people and there are bad people. There are righteous people and there are heretics. There's this side and there's that side, and there's us and there is them. And if there's only two sides, then there's only one question. Which side are you on? Are you with us? Or are you with them? What's it going to be? Because if you're with us, you're against them. And if you're with them, you're against us. And we're against you. And this is the game that everyone is playing. Um, but the problem is, um, when you are living in a world of binary, and you start to hear the gospel... It disrupts, it disrupts your life because you start to become aware of things you did not know before about the state of the world, about the creator divine, about what all of this is about and what exactly is happening in our relationship with God. Um, and you start to see that God is a God who is moving towards us. And so the problem is 
you become really tempted to cross the line towards these people, to no longer hate them, to move towards them. And when you move towards people, you start to have problems because you're living in a world of binary and everyone is playing the binary game and saying, you're with us or you're against us. You're on this side, you're on that side. You're on this party or you're on that party. Um, You view things this way or you view things that way. But as you move towards people, you start to build relationships and this is a problem. Because as you build relationships, you start to see that these are human beings. They're not issues. They're human beings with thoughts and feelings and histories. And you start to hear their stories and you see the ways that uh, they've been marginalized and oppressed. And you start seeing all the ways that they have just been uh, not allowed to speak and they've never had a voice. And these things start to cause a problem and a tension inside you because you really, really want to be the one on the, the side of rights. And, and, and you like to be certain and confident that like, this is it and that's all it is. And you're as you get close to these people, you start to love them. And that creates problems. It does. Because now there's intimacy, there's relationship. And it's far more difficult to stand over people um, and separate yourself from them because all you want to do is stand right there with them and embrace them. And so how many of you find yourself, um, for some reason, something inside you, you're becoming less and less interested in the, in the debates. You're just, I'm just not interested in the debate anymore. I'm, I'm spending time with them and I'm talking to them about Jesus. And I, my reason for drawing near them is actually Jesus. Um, and we're going to talk about what happens here. Um, there's this passage a little later on in this very chapter of Matthew 5 that we are studying. Um, and at the risk of using up sermon material a few weeks from now, I'm going to do this anyways. Um, Matthew chapter 5, starting in verse 43 to 45, I separated it into, into four sections because I want to talk about this um, a little bit at a time because it, it goes directly with the Beatitudes and the progression of the Beatitudes. Now, it starts off saying, this is Jesus talking, you have heard that it is said, you shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy. Here's the game. There's a line right down the middle. These are our neighbors. Those are not our neighbors. Those are our enemies. You shall love all those in your camp in your tribe, in your nation, in your philosophy, in your theology. You will love all of them, and you will hate your enemy. This is what the world is telling you, and it's not just the secular world. The religious world has always said this from the beginning. You will love the people that are like you and that agree with you, and you will hate those that disagree with you. And then he goes on, But I say to you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. And so you have Jesus... And he starts walking towards these people. And you're like, what are you doing? We hate them. And he says, you've hated them long enough. We're going to open our arms and we're going to move towards them and we're going to build relationships and we're going to find health. And I'm going to, I'm going to pour into this person. I'm going to pour myself out for this person because I love them. Um, and he says, I say to you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. So there is this movement uh, towards these people praying for well-being, praying for shalom, for them to find peace and healing, that they would find a deep and meaningful relationship with God, with you, with others, that they would find purpose in this world. Um, And then it says, so that you may be sons of your Father who is in heaven. Here's the phrase that connects with the beatitude. Because when you do this, uh, you're acting just like your Father. And what is your Father doing? He makes his Son rise on the evil and on the good and sends rain on the just and the unjust. Now, You may have heard this verse, the very bottom line, that God makes it sunshine and the rain fall on everyone. And maybe you've heard that verse interpreted as um, positive and negative, light and dark. Like, 
God makes good things and bad things happen to everyone. That's actually not what this means. Uh, These are both positive, good things. Uh, We're thinking first century agricultural time period. Um, The sun obviously is necessary to grow crops and to survive and to live. It is necessary. It's a good thing, and God sends it on everyone. The rain is a good thing. It helps your crops to live. The rain is a good thing. So there are these blessings that God pours out on everyone. So you start at the beginning, and you start working through this thing. You've heard that it's said, you will love those that are just like you, and you will hate those that are not like you. And you've heard that. But I want you to notice, if you look up, the love of God is falling upon all of you. What God desires for you is no different than what God desires for them. God wants them to find peace with God, to be known, to be loved, to find reconciliation with other people and with God. The blessings, the love that God has for you is no different than the love God has for them. The reason you think the love God has for you is right is because you have done something to earn it. That's what you think. You think you've lived in some way and you've figured something out and you've put all the pieces together and now I've received the love of God and they don't have it. They do have the love of God. They just don't know it. And go into their, go into their lands and speak the gospel and say the gift of God, the love, the healing of God is free to you. Open your eyes, open your hands and receive it. Just receive it. It is there It's like the older brother. Everything that you have ever wanted has always been available to you. All you had to do was ask. It's there. But we are far too busy separating ourselves into camps. Now, let's talk about the Beatitudes and the progression because the gospel, I believe fully, the gospel can absolutely change the world, like actually the world, human beings, nations, all of it. When I was a child, I believed that the gospel was you pray a prayer and you fly to heaven after you die. Um, and I never understood how that could change the world. But then I found out that's not the gospel. Um, the gospel is about the reconciliation of all things and people to God. The gospel is about how the work of Christ brings peace and healing and salvation into this world. And it is a way of living and walking. It is an understanding. It is, it is part an understanding and a mental ascension, but it is, it is also this relationship and this movement, okay? So I want to talk to you about how the Beatitudes actually work and how the world has actually changed. So it starts with this simple idea that there are people that we know are blessed. We just kind of say it. Um, we see them on our social media feeds. They've got it all together. They've got pictures of themselves on yachts and boats and serving third world families and they've got it together um, and they have, they have monuments with plaques and pictures of them on, 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 these, on these monuments and their name on these plaques. They've, uh, they've got their names as credits for the end of these shows. They're receiving awards on TV. New stories are done about how great they are. Documentaries are made. They're, there's libraries built after them. We know who's blessed. That's how the world works. There's the blessed people. They're rich and they're happy and they're powerful and they're complete. They've got it figured out. They understand it all. And then there's like the rest of us. And we're the rejected. And all we want to do is climb over there. We want to get there. Um, We want to be rich and happy and powerful and complete. But instead, we're poor. And we have a lot of mourning. A lot of pain. We're a little hopeless Um, we're meek and gentle. We're not like 
the power people that everyone else is. I can't just stand up and order a bunch of people around and get what I want, snap my fingers, and they say, well, that's your fault. You're not assertive enough. No, I'm not. And then, and then we hunger and thirst for righteousness. In other words, I want so badly to be, to be made whole. I want to grow. I want to change. I've been carrying the same baggage for years. I can't shake it. I can't. I can't improve my life. I can't get the degree. I can't lose the weight. I can't, um, I can't work out the faith. I, I just can't do it. And so there's the blessed and there's the rejected. And it's into this scenario that Jesus also lived. And everyone knew. You know, we don't say it. We don't say, oh, you know, they're the, they're the blessed ones. We're the rejected ones. We don't say it, but we think it. We idolize them and we worship them. It's no different than it was in the first century. And so Jesus enters into this space. He enters into this world and he says, no. Blessed are the poor. Blessed are the meek. Blessed are are those who have mourning and are hopeless. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. Blessed are all of you who want so badly to do better and you just can't. You are no less loved by God than them. They did not earn the love of God. They did not earn salvation. They earned nothing different than you, which is nothing. The love of God, the desires that God has for you, the real gifts that God gives are available to all of you. And those things do not come in the form of Learjets and a bajillion followers on social media. They come in the form of um, love and relationships and peace with each other, of being able to look into the eyes of the people across from you and seeing unconditional love. And it comes in the form of knowing who you are, and it comes in the form of being able to be a godly presence in the room and bring healing and reconciliation. This is what life was meant to be about living in the kingdom of God where everyone is seen as a child of God. Everyone is seen as somebody worth dying for. These gifts that actually bring true happiness have always been available. You are just as blessed as them. It is no different because you know what? One day you were hearing the words of Jesus and then you looked up and what changed was you looked up and you realized the sun was shining on all of them and the rain was falling on all of us. God desires all of us to receive the things that he has. And so, you start off with the first four Beatitudes and you receive them. No, I'm not, I'm not being punished for God because I'm poor. Riches, money has nothing to do with it. There is joy and there's love and there's happiness to be found wherever I am. I am not a reactive presence. I am not. My joy is not dependent on the things going on around me. My joy is, is something that is rooted in something that I found in God and I can move through this life and receive the joy and the goodness of God no matter what is happening. And you look up and you say, and everyone can. The gospel is open to everyone. And then something happens because you find yourself living in a world where the game is are happening. And there is the ones who are blessed and you find yourself with your neighbors and they're like, we're blessed. We figured it out. We're right. Um, we're the blessed ones. God loves us. And then there's the, uh, the rejected over here. And they're over here and they are... Um, they haven't figured it out. They're actually living evil lives and they're rejected. But then someone on the blessed side actually reads the words of Jesus. Whatever this looks like in your life, it's some kind of tribal thing. One of you wakes up and you read the words of Jesus and then you look up and you realize, wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute. The sun is shining on everyone and the rain is falling on all of us. There's gifts of God, the love of God, the desires that God has for me are no different than the desires that God has for them. And you wake up and you realize, no, God loves them. I can't just love my neighbor. 
I must love my enemy. And so what happens is the gospel demands that you start moving towards your enemy and you find yourself with them shoulder to shoulder. And then you start saying things like, well, blessed are the merciful too. You know why you have to be reminded that blessed are the merciful? Because mercy was not a trait that was respected in the first century. If you show the enemy mercy, and it's a lot like today. If you show the enemy mercy, there's no mercy. You kill him, you wipe him out, and that's how things are made right. The one who is showing mercy is weak and they're childish and they're not built for this world. No, blessed are the merciful. And you know what? What else? Blessed are the pure in heart. We talked a couple weeks ago about purity of heart. The opposite of purity is not impurity, it's hypocrisy. That's Augustine. Um, hypocrisy is you're, 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 you're over here pretending to fit in. And you don't really, but you're playing the game, hoping that one day you will fit in. No, I'm going to be honest, and I'm going to tell this person over here, I have the same struggles you have. I have, I have fears, and I have, I have doubts, and I have, I have sins, and I have struggles, and I have problems. I'm no different than you. Thank God the reign of God is falling on all of us and nurturing us and, and bringing us to growth. Um, so blessed, you come to find blessed are those who can be honest about who they are. And then blessed are the peacemakers, because when you do this, you find yourself standing in the middle. And here's the problem. The one side doesn't want you to go to the other side and minister to the rejected and the oppressed. And, the, and, and, and you do this, and you know what you find on the other side? You find a bunch more people saying, and now we hate them. We love the oppressed and we hate the oppressors. And this creates problems because, again, the gospel doesn't allow that. The gospel forces you to move back to the middle. And not only do you, do you love the ones who are being pointed at, but you love the ones who are doing the pointing. And not only do you love the ones who are being condemned, you love the ones who are condemning. And you find yourself in a very precarious situation of being a peacemaker, not fitting in either side. This is where the gospel actually demands we be. These people who don't play the games of this world, we live lives that are holy. The Greek word is hagios, it means different. We're called out from among them. We're not going to play those games. Even the games that are being played by the religious elite all over the world today in our very own religion. And we find ourselves in the middle. And you know what happens? Um, being a peacemaker is incredibly difficult because, you know, friends have fallings out. And then they're, they're demanding you take a side. You enter the binary game. And then uh, people get divorced and they're demanding that you pick a side. Who are you with? Who was in the wrong? Who's your friend now? Who are you going to be friends with? And you have to reject the other one. Um, and being, peacemaker, being a peacemaker is incredibly difficult because there's expectations placed upon you because people blacklist family members, people leave their churches, people take each other to court, uh, nations clash, religions couldn't be more different, and then, and then we blame our societal woes on different nationalities and sexual orientations, and we just, we're just binary in everything that we do. But blessed are the peacemakers who can stand in the middle and say, no, you are loved by God and you are loved by God and the kingdom of God is, is not on the sides. And what happens is you read a little farther and you find one more beatitude that meets you where you find yourself. Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness sake for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. And they find the kingdom of heaven because you know what happens? Um, when you step away from your tribe and you say, I'm going to build some relationships over here. I'm going to move this direction. I'm going to show them love, and we're just going to, we're going to see what happens. Um, they're going to start throwing rocks at you. They've done it to every prophet in all of scriptures. Jesus even said, and when the prophets come to you and they tell you how God wants you to live, and they give you the message of God, what do you do? You kill them. That's what religious people do. They kill the people who speak the word of God. 
And so Jesus enters in, starts speaking the message of God. And what did we do? We killed him. I had a conversation with somebody the other day. Um, and uh, they kind of threw out, when I was a kid, I used to hear this phrase that like, if I was the only one on earth, God would still die, for, Jesus would still die for me. And, uh, and it, I realized that is true because Jesus was the one who brought the message of God and I, I would have been the one to kill him. That's how it works. Because when people do the work of God, when people who stand up for righteousness, we stone them, we crucify them, we burn them at the stake. Because nobody wants to hear that you're not right. Nobody wants to hear that. And so when you start doing the work of God, you're going to get phone calls, you're going to get rocks thrown at you, you're going to get angry emails, it's going to get bad, and you're going to stand there in the middle, and maybe you find yourself here between family members or between whatever, and... You don't know what to do when you start thinking, well, I'm just, I'm messing it all up. I have to pick a side and I don't know which side to pick. And you start having all these doubts and fears about what you should do. And it's in this moment that you realize the last beatitude. No, blessed are the peacemakers. You are not rejected. You are not doing the wrong thing. You are not in the wrong. Wake up and realize that you are doing the work of God. This is how the kingdom of God comes into this world. It's through pouring yourself out for these people so that they can be reconciled and find salvation. This is how the gospel changes the world. People, individuals, wake up to the blessings and the love of God and they start moving towards people and they suffer, but salvation comes out of it. And so I don't know what you're going through. All of us tend to go through things like this all the time. Growth is hard. Um, waking, up to th- waking up to the path God has you on is hard. Um, trying to wake other people up is even harder because you can't take people where they don't want to go. You can't wake people up who want to continue sleeping. All you can do is be faithful to the gospel, to move towards the sinner. There's this uh, incredible theologian, Dallas Willard. He died a few years ago. And he wrote this book called The Divine Conspiracy. And uh, it's the most widely unread book in Christianity. Like everyone bought it and nobody could finish it because it's huge. It's amazing. Um, But he says this, under God's rule, there is recognition that in bringing good to people who are in the wrong, as both sides usually are, you show the divine family resemblance. In other words, people will look at you when you do this kind of thing and they will say, they're a child of God. That's God's work. I can't do that. That's too hard. That's Jesus stuff. And then people stand up and they start doing it. It's difficult. But this is what the church should be. Under God's rule, there is recognition that in bringing good to people who are in the wrong, that is what God does. Both sides usually are. You show the divine family resemblance. Now, um, what happens to the peacemakers? They find themselves standing in the middle telling these people no. No, I love you, and I'm staying connected to you. I love you, and I'm staying connected to you. I will not play your games. I will stand in the middle, and I will implore both of you to find reconciliation. I don't care how bad it was. I don't care what happened, how terrible it was. This is what God does, and I'm going to stand here and do the work of God. And it will hurt. But being the peacemaker, it's difficult, because the question at the end is, how will these people look at you? How will they look at you? Well, 
I think you'll be recognized as a child of God. Not at first. But when the healing does its work, that's how they're going to recognize a child of God. It's not, they're not going to recognize a child of God because you're sinless, but because you're drawn near to sinners. Not because you are healthy, but because you're moving towards those who are unhealthy for their own health. And one of the problems with the world is one person makes a mistake, and what happens? People run, and they disassociate from this person. And Jesus sees this and says, you guys, you still don't get it. And he walks towards this person. And remember, the beginning of Matthew, the baptism, all the sinners are gathering at the river and they're repenting and they're repenting. And on the side of the river, you have all of the the religious elite, the Pharisees and the Sadducees, and they're watching the people repent and they're like, good, good, you need to repent. And Jesus, God incarnate, sees them and he looks at these people and he could easily stand with them. He could be the leader of them. And he steps to the other side and he steps into the water, shoulder to shoulder with them and says, I'm gonna repent with you guys. Do you have anything to repent of? I have nothing. No. But however they look at you, that's how they can look at me. That's fine. I'm going to join you and we're going to walk out of this together. And so this disrupts our lives. This is difficult. I don't, I don't deny how hard this is to do. But this is, this is the work of Christianity. This is the work we should be doing that we have neglected for well over a century and we've been playing the games of the world. We have to stop. The biggest and best picture of this is communion. We're going to take communion right now. Our communion servers, you guys can take the elements and spread around the room. Um, communion is it. You picture Jesus sitting at the table. And who's he sitting at the table with? Tax collectors, murderers, prostitutes, and religious leaders. All there. Jesus is breaking bread with them and says, hey... There's something higher. There's something bigger. And it's the thing that can bring all of us together, that can mend all these broken things. And it's the body of Christ. This is how it works. Jesus, his death on the cross, his body broken for you, his blood poured out for you so that you could find healing and salvation. And then he says, follow me. And we move out into the world and we allow our bodies to be broken and our, 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 our lives to be poured out for these people. However that looks, sometimes it's hard work. Sometimes it's money. Sometimes it's, it's whatever. It's whatever you have that you bring to the table. And the church should be the instrument of God's healing in the world. We are the body of Christ. We're the only physical body God has in this world. It's us. And so you guys can spread around the room. That's fine. Um, And uh, we're going to take some time and we're going to take communion. Um, Let's pray. Father, thank you for this place, for these people. It's a difficult journey crawling towards you every single week. And we live through these things and we just so badly want to go back to our binary ways and we will, we'll fall and we admit that and we bring that to you and we say we are sinners we'll miss the mark every single time but we receive your sunlight and we receive your rain and we ask that you would help us to grow none of us have figured it out none of us are, are, are pristine examples of, of you but Jesus is and so we're just going to keep our eyes there And we're going to ask that you would give us strength and power to move forward. Give us peace in difficult situations. 
Let us know that we are anchored in something bigger and stronger. Teach us to be instruments of of that peace. Teach us to be the peacemakers. Thank you, Father. We pray all of this in your name. Amen. Take some time. Take communion and talk to Jesus.